Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth yet spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. Living your faith. So we've just about made it through chapters 1 and 2. We're going to finish up chapter 2 today. And we're discovering as we walk through Philippians, we're discovering Paul's heart. And with that, the heart of God. How he wants us to live our life. How he wants us to live our lives. We're seeing how God through Paul offers spiritual and practical ways that we should walk. Living a thriving full life. Now a thriving full life is a life of both ups and downs. A thriving full life is a life that overcomes adversities and doesn't just avoid adversity. Come on. A thriving full life is a life that walks on the water in the midst of the storm and doesn't just avoid storms. Come on, storms will come. In this life, you will have trials and tribulations, Jesus said. But I have overcome the world. And the one that has overcome the world is in you. Come on. And so through Paul, and he was in a Roman prison when he, he wrote this letter, he finds a way to let us understand that he finds joy in the midst of adversity. Come on. Knowing that the joy that's set before him is greater than the adversity that he's going through right now. We understand how humility uh, through difficult times helps us to live on top, to be the head that God called us to be and not the tail. You would think that the way to be the head is to be bold and brash and declare yourself. But sometimes it's just declaring the word of God. Come on. And God is the one that lifts you up above everything else. Still, I rise in the midst of it all. Why? Because of the word of God. And greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. Come on. Paul's given us a key here. When we talked about humility, a key to unlock the door, come on, of like-mindedness with Christ Jesus. Because we understand that Jesus, there's no greater show of humility than to come from being in the sovereignty of the ruler of the universe. The ruler of the universe. Not one of the many. The ruler of the universe. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. To leave that position and be like us, there's no greater display of humility than that. And he's calling us to be humble. We were also encouraged with the fact that God can use our afflictions. What the enemy means for bad, come on, Joseph said it, God turns around for our good. In fact, I would put it this way. I wouldn't even say that God turns it around for our good. Here's why I say that. Because God knew the whole time what was going on. God already had it planned for our good. He didn't even turn it around. He just used what was there. He used what was there for our good. This doesn't mean we should look for afflictions. We know that. 
Afflictions are going to come, but we know that we can overcome afflictions. And we know that living a life for God, these though these tribulations come, we can overcome them. And so when we look here in Philippians, we're understanding that the theme of this whole book, come on, the theme of this book is the joy, I said the joy of the Christian life and service manifested. Not just in my mind. Oh, in my mind, I'm thinking there's joy. No, it's a manifested joy, no matter the circumstances, no matter what the circumstances are. And so every week I try to give you a little bit more background on this letter that Paul wrote. And so here in the first century, this first century uh, in the city of Philippi, it was a diverse population. This wasn't all Jews who understood and were there uh, to see Jesus crucified. No, these were people on the outside, and it was a diverse population. In fact, Philippi was a thriving city. It was a city that was on the water, and it was thriving. And so if there's any city or any people that would have felt like they didn't need God or they didn't need anyone else, it could have been this city. Yet they received Paul when he came and preached the word of God and started a church there. It was made up of Greeks and Romans and Thracians. It was made up of all sorts of different people that came together to make up this community. Come on. It sounds a little bit like the country we live in, doesn't it? People come from all sorts of places to come together. And if I really got down to it, it kind of sounds like the body of Christ, doesn't it? right? Doesn't matter where you are, where you're from. If you confess the name of Jesus, come on, if you believe it in your heart and confess it with, confess him with your mouth, then you are part of the body of Christ. You are saved. You are part of this body. And so here in Philippi, other cultures mixed in, but there is little evidence really of a Jewish population in Philippi, if you believe that. And, and when Paul went to Philippi, he didn't immediately go into the synagogue. One of the things that you have to understand about Paul's missionary journeys is when he went to a city, he went into the synagogue to teach, didn't he? But here in Philippi, he didn't, as was his custom. And it's presumably because there was no synagogue here. Come on, they didn't know anything about it. Instead, he went to the river where he knew some of the Jews would be worshiping. And even there, those who responded were Gentiles. And many were Gentile women that responded to the word of God. And since Jewish law commanded that a synagogue be established, that's, that's what he set out to do. But you have to understand that so many different people were in this community that there was all kind of different influences. Here's why I'm saying that. Why are you saying, why are you prefacing this? Let's get to the word. Here's why I'm saying that. Because I feel like, especially where we are today, uh, and especially in the West, in our country, but all over the world, people are so worried about the influence of the world. The world is influencing us. It's coming in. It's seeping into our schools. There's no more prayer in school. And, uh, you know, uh, homosexuality uh, is being accepted even in the church. And we have all of these things that just worry us to death. And I want to tell you, it's nothing new. It's nothing new. It's always been here. And nothing, especially any of that, phases God. Diversity does not phase God. 
God can use it and he'll turn it around. He'll put his word in it. He'll clean it up just like he cleaned you and I up. He'll clean it up and he'll turn it around and it'll make it for his good and he'll make it holy and pure. We can't do that. We can't do it. All what we can do is pray about it. But don't worry, it's in God's hands. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to begin at verse 19 and go all the way down and finish this chapter. So strap in for a moment and let's go through the rest of this chapter here. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 19, I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. It says this, says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father he served with me in the gospel. Therefore I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it, verse 25, necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, watch this now, but your messenger, and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick, almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, verse 29, <clears throat> therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, <clears throat> because for the work of Christ... He came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Amen. So we see here, Paul is commending, <clears throat> he's commending these two young men. He says, I want to send Timothy to you, and I'm sending Epaphroditus back to you. I begin to think, what is so special about these two men? Why is Paul concerned about these two men? Well, <clears throat> Paul is concerned about the Philippians' welfare. He certainly is. So he'll send Timothy, who was his companion at the time, as his envoy, his representative. Why? Because we know he was in the Roman prison. He was in prison. He couldn't come himself. So he wanted to send Timothy. <clears throat> Excuse me. He is hopeful that the report which his younger colleague will bring back to him will be satisfactory. He says that I may be cheered when I receive the news about you. Paul was so concerned about the Philippians that he just wanted to understand how are you doing. I just want news of you so when I hear it I'll be cheered up even though I'm in jail. You know what's going to make me happy? is to hear that you're doing well in the faith. That's what Paul is saying. 
The mission of Timothy will therefore be a powerful follow-up to the appeals of unity that we heard earlier in this verse. Remember, we talked about how Paul said, be unified in the faith. That's, that is the best way to share that the church can share the gospel, is to share a unified gospel. And the steadfastness, these are the burden of this letter. Timothy was Paul's personal representative to the churches. We know that. 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul said, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you when he sent them to the Corinthians, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in the church. Later on in Corinthians 16.10, he said, And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. He's talking about someone who's like-minded with him as he is like-minded in Christ. We're going somewhere with this. And then over to the church at Thessalonica, he said this in, in 1 Thessalonians 3, 2. It says, and he and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. Why? To establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. You see, the sense of the passage seems to be that all of his Christian friends in the place of confinement, for example, the brothers that were with him, that, that locked arms with him, uh, it, it, who were there in Rome, even those of Caesar's household and all of that, of all of the brothers that were with Paul, there was no one that shared his like-mindedness quite like Timothy and even Epaphroditus. For the Philippians. No one shared his like-mindedness quite like Timothy did. And so therefore Paul was assured that sending Timothy was the right thing to do because he knew Timothy would take a genuine interest in the welfare of the Philippians. He would take a genuine interest in the welfare of the church. He would take a genuine interest in the growth of the people, not just himself. This is a good lesson for us as Christians. Say, Brother Mike, why are you talking so much about Timothy? It's great to know Timothy's background and who he was, but what does that have to do with me? Well, Timothy is a good example, and Epaphroditus are good examples for us. This is a good lesson for us as Christians, saints. Very often we find ourselves so anxious and worried by being caught up in our own ways and our own cares that we forget caring for others is our most important job, don't we? I mean, we sometimes things come on us. I mean, we, we, we have struggles and we have trials in life. I, I was with my son last night at a concert and I heard a, a brother talking in between his songs and he was saying, you know, uh, he, he's older now. He's, he's in his early 60s, this, this guy. And he was, he, was, uh, he was just talking. He said, you know, there was a time when I had about 60 or 70 nerves in my body. And it seems like now I just have one nerve. <laughs> and it seems like everybody does all they can to get on that one nerve, <laughs> you know. Have you ever felt like that? You know, you ever gone through life and felt like that? I mean, it seems like things just come against us. And so we can get caught up in that. We get so anxious about things around us that we forget God has called us to put others above ourselves. The truth is, one of the best ways to care for ourselves is to enlarge our heart of sympathy to share the burden of others. 
to share the burden of others. This is the heart that Timothy had. Paul, what is it that you want me to tell the church? How do you want to see them grow? I want to see them grow just as you do. I want them to receive the gospel. I want them to be prosperous in the Lord just as you do. I want them to live the overcoming life just as you and Christ do. I want them to live an abundant, thriving life just as you do. I care for them. And then he said, I'm sending Epaphroditus to you as well. Epaphroditus means charming. That's <laughs> what his name means. It was actually a pretty common name in ancient times. We don't see it much in the Bible, but if you look at your history, it was Epaphroditus, oddly enough, was a pretty common name, but it means charming. Paul speaks here in glowing terms of the value of Epaphroditus companionship. He says, he has been my brother, been my brother, a fellow believer and a fellow worker in the Lord. This phrase represents uh, a, a Greek word that really means like-minded and like-hearted. And he was possibly there with Paul when he started the Philippian church. He talks about him as a fellow soldier. We're walking together. It speaks to the camaraderie of, of the bond which these two men forged even in conflict. Paul makes special mention of the service which Epaphroditus has rendered. He, he had come to Paul in the name of the church, watch now, whose messenger he was. So if you really look into that, Epaphroditus was really the pastor of the Philippian church, in case you were wondering. And he came to Paul. I'm the pastor. I'm the man. I'll be the man of this Philippian church. We're diverse. We're a great city, we're thriving, and I'm the man. I'm the shepherd of the church. God has put me in charge. Wait a minute. I need to humble myself and go to Paul who is in prison. What is it that you need? What, what should I do? Please pray for me. A humble and humility that he had, and he showed that thing. And so when you look at these two men, Paul and Epaphroditus, one of the things that you find is that they were faithful men in the Lord. My pastor used to tell me that there's three things that you need to have. Three things that you need to be if you want to excel in the Lord. Three things. Faithful, faithful, faithful. <laughs> you know it, Al. Faithful. God wants us to be faithful. And faithful doesn't, it, it includes obviously humility, but do you know that faithful also means speaking the word in times of trouble? That's being faithful to God. See, sometimes we have this false humility. And that's not what Paul is talking about. He's not calling us to abase ourselves with false humility. But when things come against you, speak the word of God. That's being faithful. It's what God is calling us to do. Speak his word in every situation. Be faithful. In these verses, Paul commends both Timothy and Epaphroditus with the highest of commendations. The highest of commendations. And Paul wasn't simply appreciating these two because they had done something for him. I mean, it's one thing when somebody goes out of their way and they do something for you, you appreciate them. Thank you so much for what you did for me. But I, I want you to get this this morning. Paul is commending these two young men, not for what they did for him. 
Paul is commending these two young men because they care for the brethren. Because they care for the church. Because they care for the believers. Because they have a heart for the lost. That's why he's, if they didn't do anything for Paul, because of their heart for God and their heart for others, he's commending them. They get the highest of praises from a great apostle of the Lord because they care for others. How many of us feel like we just need to do something great? And if we want to be recognized, uh, we've got to do something great. We were talking to uh, a group of uh, a few young people, a few students um, up at Anderson University. And during the conversation, we got to talking about social media and how social media affects us today and how it can be good and, uh, you know, how it can be bad as well. And one of the students said that one of the things that gets on her nerves is uh, kind of when she sees people on social media always recording their good deeds. That's a good thing. You do something good. You feed the homeless. You do whatever. You know, you document it. You record it if you're trying to inspire others. But she was saying that it seems like so many of those uh, do that just to show other people I'm doing good things. Right? Look at me on Instagram. I'm doing good things. Watch this video on YouTube of how I did all of these good things. And we, we just, we, that is so self-absorbing. That is so uh, self-centered though it's not selfish. You get that? <laughs> Jody taught me that a lot years and years ago. It's so self-centered even though you're not being selfish. And that's the opposite of what God wants us to do. God wants us to get rid of self-centeredness as much as he wants us to get rid of selfishness. Come on. These men were commended because they cared for others and they weren't seeking the limelight for themselves. Come on, God's talking to us this morning. God wants you to excel. God wants you to be great. God wants you to get your degrees. God wants you to go. God wants you to be great. He wants your companies to be prosperous. He, he wants you to be great influencers. But the best way to do that is not to show everyone all the great deeds we're doing on social media. I'm not telling you not to document anything. It's really about your heart, isn't it? It's not about documenting or not documenting. What it really is about is what? It's about your heart and your motivation. And that's something, I don't know your motivation. I could look at your social media feed and, and see you feeding the homeless, but I really don't know your motivation. God knows your motivation. I would clap and say, that's great. That's wonderful. But you don't want me to clap. You want God to clap. Come on. You want God to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I could say it all day long and it doesn't mean much. But you want God to say that. You don't want me to say, well done, good and faithful servant, and God to say, get away from me. I never knew you. But I prophesied in your name. I fed the homeless in your name. I did all of these things. Get away. I never knew you. I never knew you. What is your motivation. And so what am I saying this morning? This morning is a call for us to just double check our motivations, double check our hearts. Listen to what Paul says here in, in chapter 2 verses 20 and 21 and 26 in the New Living Version. He put it this way. He said, I have no one else who is as interested in you, he's talking to the Philippians, as Timothy. Everyone else thinks of himself instead of Jesus Christ. 
And then in verse 26 about Epaphroditus, he says, he has been wanting to see all of you. And he was troubled because you heard he was sick. This is what bothered Epaphroditus. Not the fact that he was sick. Not the fact that the enemy was coming against him. What troubled him was that he knew the Philippians were concerned about him. And he didn't want them to be concerned. Yes, I'm struggling. I'm going through something right now. But it concerns me even more that it's breaking your heart. Come on, do you get that? Epaphroditus cares more about them. It's important to care for others. That's what we're pushing. That's what I think the Holy Spirit wants us to understand this morning. That it's about others and it's not about ourselves. And in that, God will raise you up. The Living Bible, Philippians 2, back up in verses 3 and 5, it said this. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Don't live for that. It doesn't say don't make a good impression. It says don't live to make a good impression on others. Paul said be humble, thinking of others better than yourself. Don't just think about your own affairs, but be interested. Not just care for others or say I'll give you some money. No, be interested. I can't push that home enough. Be interested. <laughs> be interested in others' affairs, he said. And in what they are doing, your attitude should be the kind that was shown to us by Jesus Christ. Do you know that Jesus didn't just come die on a cross for you, give you some examples, give you some rules to follow and then leave? He was, he is genuinely interested in you. He wants you to succeed. Sometimes I don't know if we really understand that. Sometimes I don't know that we don't think that Jesus just wants us to suffer to show us how faithful we are to him. Jesus wants you to succeed. It just doesn't come the way you think it should come. Give and it shall be given to you. That doesn't make sense. It makes perfect sense. It's just that it makes spiritual sense. And the only sense you have is your sense. <laughs> You have worldly sense. Of course it doesn't make worldly sense. But the spirit realm was here before the world. And so it makes perfect sense. Give and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall men give unto your bosom. You want to prosper? Be a giver. With the right motivation. Come on somebody. With the right motivation. Ephesians 4.32, Living Bible again says, Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted. Watch, forgiving one another. No caveats there. He didn't say forgiving one another as long as it wasn't too bad. Forgiving one another as long as they don't do it six times in a row. Forgiving one another as long as, no. It says forgiving one another. Now here's the key, <laughs> and I hope you get this one too. Forgiving one another, watch this now, just as God has forgiven you because you belong to Christ. Now think about that. How has God forgiven you? How has God forgiven you? What have you done? If you look in the mirror and look back over your life, you know one of the things that uh, really bothers me sometimes when I really look in that proverbial mirror? I, I don't want to remember all the bad things that I've done and thought. I don't want to remember that. I'm like, God, you know, take that away. Take it away. I don't want to remember it. But if you were to do that, 
you would understand just how much God forgave you when you ran from him. He sought you out and forgave you. When you turned your back on him, he forgave you. When you denied him, he forgave you. Some of us say, well, I never denied him. Well, I don't know about that. Uh, there, there may have been times in your life where there's opportunity to share Jesus and you kept quiet. By keeping quiet, sometimes we deny Christ. Now, I know you don't want to hear that. But he forgave you. And so he says, forgive others just as God forgave you. The same way that God forgave you, you must forgive. Watch Galatians 6.10 in the Amplified. It says, so then, while we as individual believers have the opportunity, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people. Not just Christians, but to all people. But then he goes on to say, not only being helpful, but also doing that which promotes their spiritual well-being. And then he says, and especially, now this is word, this is not me making this up. He says, especially being a blessing to those of the household of faith, the born-again believers. The King James says, preferring the brethren. And I, I want to emphasize here, it doesn't say don't do good to others. It says do good to all people, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. As I look around at church, sometimes I see us, church folk, we treat church folk worse sometimes than we do people outside the church. Okay, David said it, so I'm going to say it. I was going to keep something inside, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. And the way we treat each other bad sometimes is not uh, blatant. Sometimes it's being late. Come on. Sometimes it's we're having a good word and not saying that word to encourage someone else. Sometimes it's being offended and not forgiving because you're waiting for them to ask for forgiveness. No, no, no. God never said that. He never said, soon as they ask, then you forgive them. Seems like that makes sense to me. I, I, that, make, that would make sense to me. You did this thing to me. You asked for forgiveness. I will forgive you. But it's not what the Bible says. <laughs> The Bible says forgiving just as God forgave you. Because let me remind you of something that Paul told the Romans, but really he's telling the whole world. That while you were yet, come on somebody, sinners, not when you asked for forgiveness, but while you were yet sinners in your sin, some not even realizing that there was a Christ, he died on the cross for you and I. That's what he's saying when he's saying forgive others the way I forgave you. Before they ask for forgiveness, forgive them. Forgive them. It's how we let the world know that we're the church. Number one. This is why it's so important to care for others. It's how we let the world know that we are the church. That you are saved. You know John 13, 34, and 36. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you that you Love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another by this, by this, by this. Not by your learning scripture, not by your good deeds, not by the way you dress, not by the how you sing or you only sing uh, Christian songs and you don't sing worldly songs. Not by any of that. None of that. That's all good. But that's all for you. But how the world will know that you are my disciples is by the love that you have one for another. Guess what that love includes? It includes forgiving. 
You know my definition of love? It's not the definition of love, but it's just one that God gave me. And that is the giving of oneself at the expense of oneself for the benefit of others. The giving of oneself at the expense of oneself for the benefit of others. The second thing and the second reason why it's so important to care for others is because it's the absolute best form of evangelism. It's the best form of evangelism. Listen, signs and wonders, I'd say, are right there. Right there. I think caring for others are number one, and signs and wonders are 1A. It's right there when I, when I read the Bible. Because when I look at some of the, the, the things that Jesus did in the Bible, Jesus' mother at the wedding of Cana, that, that, that miracle wasn't about healing someone. That miracle wasn't about some great sign and wonder of casting out devils. It was just because this couple was about to be embarrassed because their family ran out of wine. So to save them from embarrassment, Jesus' mother said, listen, they ran out of wine. That's all she had to say. You know what to do. Don't give me no lip. You know what to do. Your time is not yet. I'm not even, just do it. <laughs> That's a mother. And so just because, because Jesus cared, just because he cared, just because he cared. The leper who came to Jesus said, Lord, if you are willing, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I am willing. Why? Because I care. I care for you. I care. The centurion came to Jesus, not about himself. Make me great, Jesus. Heal my body, Jesus. No, not even about his mom, his sister, his best friend. He came to Jesus about his servant. How many masters care that much about their servants that they would lower themselves? He was a Roman, remember, a Roman centurion, soldier, and go to a Jew to say, would you please heal my servant? Because I care about him. Caring speaks volumes volumes. The woman who had the infirmity for 12 years, if I could just get to him, if I could just touch him, if I could just touch him, your faith has made you whole. Nicodemus came to him at night, but Jesus cared enough. He didn't say, get away from me. You didn't want to come to me during the daytime. Why are you coming at night? Why are you, why are you sneaking around? He didn't say that. No, he said, I'm glad you came because I have something to share with you. Caring for others speaks volumes about the gospel of Christ. And not so much when you're looking uh, so that other people can see what you're doing. Come on. People don't care what you know until they know how much you care. You've heard that quote. Originally by Teddy Roosevelt. A lot of people attribute it to John Maxwell. He said it. But Teddy Roosevelt actually said that. And then... I just add something on the end just to give it a little emphasis. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care about them. Come on. How much you care about me. I don't care how much you know. <laughs> Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt. You know, empathy is defined as the ability to understand and share the feelings of others. Romans 12.10 says this. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honor giving preference one to another that's how much i love you you might want to write down these addresses romans 12:10 couple more romans 12:13 says this 
distributing to the necessity of the saints, watch now, giving to hospitality. Not just performing, I give myself over to hospitality. I give myself to it. Yes, I give myself to hospitality. And then Proverbs 11.25. Watch this now. The generous soul will be made rich. New King James Version. And he who waters will also be watered himself. Just the opposite of what you would think of in the world. The generous soul will be made rich. And he who waters will be watered. One last scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 24. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Each one the other's well-being. You see, the quality that Timothy and Epaphroditus had was the ability to have, and not just show, genuine concern for others. Genuine concern. Out of all the skills and accomplishments that we seek in life, this should be at the top of our list. Our concern for others.